السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه 
ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا محمدا عبده ورسوله يقول الله جل وعلا في كتابه الكريم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار أعذر الله وإياكم منها أجمعين أما بعد Dear brothers and sisters, it was once said by the great Imam Abu Hanifa Rahimahullahu Ta'ala At-Tarajim Sayfun Min Suyufillahi Azza wa Jal Imam Abu Hanifa famously said that the biographies, those life stories that are transmitted to us from the earlier generations are a sword from among the swords of Almighty God. And today we want to unsheath one of those swords and look at the life and lessons of one of Islam's great early teachers. 200 years after the Prophet ﷺ, there was a man from the region of Balkh in present-day Afghanistan. And his name was Hatim ibn Unwan al-Asam. He was a student of the great teacher Shaqiq al-Balkhi, rahimahullah ta'ala. And he later went to Baghdad and kept company with the great Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, rahimahullah ta'ala. And he is considered one of the great early authorities of the Muslims in the region of Khurasan. And his name is Hatim al-Asam. And Hatim, his actual name is not Asam. It was a nickname given to him. Because the word in Arabic, Asam, means the one who's deaf. Hatim, the deaf. He wasn't actually deaf. It's said that he got this nickname, Hatim, the deaf, because someone once came to see him about a personal matter. And as that person sat in his presence, they were a bit nervous. And as they were speaking to Hatim, they basically passed wind quite loudly by accident. It became greatly embarrassed. And Hatim pretended like he didn't hear it. And he said to the person, Irfa'a sawtak, speak louder giving that person the impression that he didn't hear anything and relieving that person of their embarrassment. And so he came to be known as Hatim al-Asam, Hatim the deaf. Now it's related that one day his teacher, 
Shaqiq al-Balkhi asked him, Hatim al-Asam, how long have you kept my company? And Hatim said, I have kept your company for 33 years. And his teacher Shaqiq al-Balkhi said, and what have you learned from me in all of this time? In 33 years, what have you learned from me? And Hatim al-Asam said, I have learned eight things from you. Now imagine you have a student, and after 33 years of being under your tutelage, they say to you, I only learned eight things. Will you think that you have succeeded as a teacher or failed? When his teacher, Shaqiq al-Balqi, heard this, eight things, he said, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. You only learned eight things from me in 33 years? What are these eight things you learned from me? And so Imam Hatim al-Asam mentions these eight things that we want to read and reflect on today, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. He says, firstly, Hatim says, I looked at mankind and I saw that everyone loves something and continues to do so. When he goes to his grave, whatever he loved leaves him. So I made my righteous actions what I love. For when I enter the grave, they will enter along with me. His teacher, Shaqiq al-Balqi, said, Ahsant, you've done well. Dear brothers and sisters, in this first lesson, let us reflect. One of Allah's names in the Holy Qur'an is Al-Jami'ah, the gatherer. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the dua in the Qur'an of the people of knowledge who say, رَبَّنَا إِنَّكَ جَامِعُ النَّاسِ لِيَوْمِ اللَّهِ رَيْبَ Oh, our Lord, you will gather human beings on a day in which there is no doubt. Allah is al-jami' He will gather all of us, each and every one of us. But we will not be gathered on the day of judgment with our money. We will not be gathered with our cars, with our property. In fact, when you look in the Qur'anic narrative, you see that the only people who have money with them on the day of judgment are those who stole and hoarded gold and silver. For those people, the gold and silver will be present, but it will only be for them an instrument of punishment that is molted, melted down, and stamped across their bodies. As Allah Ta'ala says in the Qur'an, يَوْمَ يُحْمَ عَلَيْهَا فِي نَارِ جَهَنَّمْ فَتُقْوَى بِهَا جِبَاهُهُمْ وَجُنُوبُهُمْ وَظُهُورُهُمْ But anyone else, you cannot take it when you die. You cannot take it when you're gone. And Hatim understood that if this life is temporary, and if the hereafter is eternal, it makes no sense to put all of one's energy in the things of this world while neglecting the zad of the hereafter, that provision one needs in the hereafter. So that is his first lesson. How long did it take him to learn that lesson? Well, he learned it in the process of 33 years in the company of this teacher. He says, the second thing I learned is that I examined the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَأَمَّا مَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ وَنَهَا النَّفْسَ عَنِ الْهَوَى فَإِنَّ الْجَنَّةَ هِيَ الْمَأْوَى I examined the words of Allah ta'ala, but as for him who fears the station of his Lord, and forbade his lower self, his nafs, from its appetites, 
then the gardens of paradise shall be his refuge, his ma'wa. He says, I reflected on this verse, and knowing that the words of Allah are true, I strove against my lower self, and I kept my appetites at bay until my soul became satisfied with obedience and submissive to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Dear brothers and sisters, Allah Ta'ala has placed us right here, right now, in this dunya, an abode of trials and tests and tribulations, and also an abode of appetites. Allah Ta'ala says that these appetites have been adorned for us as human beings. That is how it is. And those natural appetites can only be fulfilled in the halal. And we are to discipline ourselves and not succumb to haram appetites. Allah Ta'ala did not promise us that avoiding the haram would always be easy. Instead, He called us to have mujahada, striving against the lower impulses of our egos. You do not need to strive for something that is easy. Do you have to strive to put on your hat? Do you have to strive to pick up your phone? You don't strive for things that are easy. You strive for things that require sacrifice, that require discipline, that require an amount of a certain self-control. And so he's reflecting on this verse and basically saying to himself, the words of Allah are true. So I have no alternative but to live my life according to that truth and use the shahawat that are within me for halal and purposely avoid the haram. Very simple, but not always so easy. It is human nature that we appreciate or we tend to appreciate only those things that come after struggle. And we tend to take light anything that comes easy. We don't really appreciate it the way we appreciate what comes through hard work. And so Allah Ta'ala is telling us in this verse that Hatim al Aslam cites that you have to put in the work. And that if you put in the work, you will find for yourself in the hereafter, Jannatul Ma'wa. The Jannah will be for you a refuge. Ma'wa means the place of refuge. It is the place of asylum. And we all know this as Muslims. It's in the Qur'an. But how often can we honestly say, I have, I have strove against my lower passions, and I made sure that they were not used in the haram. How many of us can honestly say we have that internal conversation? Hatim did, and that's why he benefited from his teacher, but it took him 33 years. The third thing he said, the third lesson Hatim also mentions, he says the third is that I looked at people, and I saw that everyone has something of worth which they value and protect. Then I looked at the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I looked at the words of Allah where He says that what is with you comes to an end and what is with Allah is everlasting. So whenever something of value came to me, He said I directed to Allah so that it may remain with Him for me. Dear brothers and sisters, you have to notice the pattern here. Hatim al-Asam rahimahullah is reflecting on the words of Allah Ta'ala and he is observing creation 
and deriving lessons from them on how to be. Observing whether human beings around him are living their life according to the Quranic paradigm. And seeing that they are not, he tries to live his life according to the Quranic paradigm. He didn't just observe people around him and then go along with whatever people are doing. No. He observed people and he compared their behaviors to the Quranic standard and he lived his life according to that standard. And he's not saying here that he divested himself of all of his belongings and possessions and lived penniless. He said that whatever dunya came to him, he would direct it to Allah Ta'ala so that it remains. He doesn't mean that the car is going to be with him in Jannah. What he means is the reward and the blessings and the fruits of whatever comes his way remains with him in the hereafter. Meaning its value and its reward endure in the hereafter. This means that you have to have good intentions with regards to the dunya that comes into your life. Meaning you use it in ways that are pleasing to Allah Ta'ala. Because wealth is one of those things that can be a curse or it can be a blessing depending on your state and how you use that wealth and how you acquire it. Wealth, when it is earned within the halal means and with the proper intention, it keeps you from begging others and it preserves your honor. Wealth is used to fulfill the rights of those under your care. Wealth is used to nourish your body, giving it strength to worship Allah and serve others. Wealth is used to contribute to the well-being of others, be it in charity or loans and so on and so forth. With these intentions, the wealth is spent seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the reward is with Allah in the hereafter. Whatever you use just for your own gratification is in the here and now, the dunya, it doesn't endure past this. But whatever you use with the right intention, you are putting it forward in the hereafter. وَمَا تُقَدِّمُ لِأَنفُسِكُمْ مِنْ خَيْرٍ تَجِدُوهُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ Whatever you put forward of goodness, it is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The fourth lesson. He said after 33 years with his teacher, Shaqiq al-Balqi, he says, the fourth is that I looked at some of Allah's creation. And I saw that they derived their sense of honor from their people and lineage. And I saw others derive their sense of honor from their wealth and children about whom they boasted. And I saw that others derived their sense of strength and might from usurping the wealth of others and oppressing them and shedding their blood. And I saw that others derived their sense of pride from living extravagantly and wasting their money. He's observing creation, observing the patterns around him, how the average person is living in his world. And he says, And then I contemplated the words of Allah, إِنَّ أَكْرَمَكُمْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ أَتْقَاكُمْ Indeed, the noblest of you in the sight of Allah are those of you who have the most taqwa. He said, I knew that the Qur'an is truth and their ideas about honor were false. 
Dear brothers and sisters, again, he's observing the creation, observing human beings around him and deriving lessons from them. This is an important key. One of the great Imams, Imam Abdul Wahab al-Sha'arani rahimahullah says that for the observant person, anyone and everyone and anything, in fact, can be a sheikh, a teacher for you. You can learn lessons from ants, you can learn lessons from dogs, you can learn lessons from that uncooperative person you're talking to at customer service, or that person who's having a bad day in the checkout line. They can be your sheikh, because you learn from them how not to be. So he's saying that he's looking at people and how they live their life, and how they measure honor, and then he compares that to the Qur'anic standard, and says, the words of Allah are haqq. That is the standard that I choose to live by. And what is that standard? It is the measure of honor, is the measure set by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that is taqwa, God-fearingness and uprightness. People latch onto all sorts of things for their sense of pride and honor. Some people esteem their wealth. Some, they like to command the respect of others with what they have. Others like to have lots of influence. Others like to take pride in having a large family. Others derive their sense of honor by being stronger than other people and being able to take what they want from them with force. And others derive their sense of honor by being able to live a lavish lifestyle. But Hatim is observing these people and comparing their reality to the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he's saying that I do not want the esteem of others at the expense of Allah's pleasure. He does not want the respect and esteem of others at the expense of Allah's pleasure. How many times will a Muslim face that in his life or her life where they are asked to go along with something or to keep quiet about something to maintain esteem in someone's eyes when that comes at the cost of sacrificing their principles. That is something so many of us face. So the fifth lesson, he says, after 33 years of company with Shaqiq al-Barqi, the fifth lesson is that I looked at people. Again, he's observing people around him. I looked at people and I found that some of them attacked others and some of them cursed others. And I realized that the reason they did that was hasad, envy. Then I looked at the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. نَحْنُ قَسَمْنَا بَيْنَهُمْ مَعِيشَتَهُمْ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا We have apportioned out for them their livelihood in the life of this world. So I abandoned envy and enmity towards creation, knowing that what is allotted to me will and must reach me. And I was pleased with what Allah has apportioned for me. One of the purposes of the sacred law of Sharia, dear brothers and sisters, is to minimize human conflict, to reduce those chances of fighting amongst ourselves. So there's certain <laughs> principles and rules we abide by in our contracts and other things to minimize disagreements and conflict. And that is reduced by outwardly observing the standards of the Sharia in our transactions. But it's still possible for a person to harbor 
the disease of envy in their hearts, and eventually it comes out in animosity and backbiting and gossip and so on. So Hatim was again looking at people, observing them, and he noticed that envy was driving so much of their blameworthy behavior, what we call today haters. So much of the haram that comes out of people's mouths is because they are envious people, they're haters. They are resentful people. So he observed that in his time as well. And then when he compared that to the Qur'anic standard, he came to have certainty that the reality of our provision, our risk, is that all of it is apportioned by Allah Ta'ala and all of it is from Him. The risk comes from your Lord Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. If that is the reality that has reached the depths of your heart, that all provision is from Allah, where will envy find any room in the heart? That's the lesson he took after 33 years with Shaqiq al-Balqi. The sixth lesson he said, he says that I saw people that they would fight each other and they were hostile to one another. And then I looked around and I observed people and I observed the reality and I came to the realization that my true enemy is shaitan. My true enemy is shaitan. And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, Indeed, shaitan is to you an open enemy, so take him as an enemy. He said, I took him therefore as my enemy. We take shaitan as our enemy. And you can only take him as an enemy and seek refuge in Allah from his evil when you know the nature of his work and what he seeks to do. You have to know that. And you can only take someone as an enemy when you know who they are and what they're trying to do to you. So we are to take shaitan as enemy number one. And that means we have to know his tricks, his stratagems, and how he can be defeated. The seventh lesson, dear brothers and sisters, he says, I looked at mankind and I found them seeking excessive wealth and humiliating themselves in the pursuit of excessive wealth. I looked at the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَمَا مِن دَابَةٍ فِي الْأَرْضِ إِلَّا عَلَى اللَّهِ رِزْقُهَا There is not a creature on earth walking with four legs except that its provision is upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I realized, he said, that I am one of those who are provided for. And so I busied myself with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and abandoned putting my longing in anything besides Him. Once again, Hatim is observing the world around him, observing the patterns of human behavior, and he compares those behaviors to what Allah has said in the Qur'an. And he chooses to live according to the Qur'anic standard. Now he is not saying that one should not seek wealth in any way, shape, or fashion. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that after we have offered our salat on the blessed day of Al-Jumu'ah, that we should seek the blessings and bounty of Allah. فَإِذَا قُضِيَةِ الصَّلَاةُ فَانْتَشِرُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَابْتَغُوا مِنْ فَضْلِ اللَّهِ When you are finished with the prayer on the day of Al-Jumu'ah, 
then disperse and seek the bounty of Allah. That's not what he's talking about. He is talking about seeking wealth in a way that is self-humiliating. And that is when there is hirs and tama'ah. Seeking it in such a way that you humili humiliate yourself and do the haram. <coughs> so there's a very careful balance that we have to maintain as Muslims. If a person is being lazy and they're begging others, he should not be allowed to frame his laziness as a religious virtue. He can't take his own natural laziness and turn it into a fadila, a religious virtue, and say, no, I'm not lazy, I'm just a zahid in the dunya. dunya No, this is inversion of realities. That is not what it is. He should not be allowed to frame it in that way. He must be told the verses in the Qur'an about earning and about working and the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that prohibit su'an, begging and asking others beyond needs. But that's not the problem for most of us. But the other side of that equation is that if a person is going out of their way to amass the goods of the world and they humiliate themselves and abase themselves and are wallowing in the haram to get after that, so engrossed in the material, they have to be reminded of who is the one who brings the risk for them. They have to be corrected to get out of this delusion that somehow they are razaq for themselves and that Allah is not a razaq for them. And the eighth point we come to in the second khutbah bi-ithnillahi ta'ala, may Allah give us the ability to benefit from these words of advice from this great Imam and have mercy upon him and his teachers. Ameen. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa afturu salati wa atamu taslimi ala Sayyidina Muhammadin al-Sadiq al-Ameen. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man istanna bi sunnatihi ila yawmiddin wa ba'd. Dear brothers and sisters, we now come to the final lesson that Imam Hatim al-Asam learned from his company with Shaqiq al-Balkhi over the course of 33 years. He says, the eighth thing is that I looked at people and I saw that they relied on different things. One relying on his commerce, his tijara. The other relying on his profession. The other relying on his health. Every creature was relying on another creature. Every makhluk was relying on another makhluk. But then I looked at the words of Allah Azza wa Jal, who says, Whoever puts their trust in Allah Ta'ala, then he is sufficient for him. Therefore, I put my trust in Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. Notice the patterns here, dear brothers and sisters. In almost all of these points that he learned from his teacher, they all begin with him noting how he observed other people and derived lessons by observing them and comparing their behaviors to the standard set forth in the Qur'an. He didn't just go along with what everyone is doing, he looked at them very carefully and used as his mi'yar, as his mizan, his standard and scale, the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
and then he strove to live his life in accordance with that standard. He saw that people were relying on all sorts of things. And that's the reality for most people. My money, my health, my strength, my connections, my friends, my family, my job, my career, my degree, my experience, my intelligence, my wits, and so on. But all of these things have one thing in common. They are all ghayrullah. They are all other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore, they are all makhluq, created. And everything makhluq depends on its khaliq, its creator, subhanahu wa ta'ala. After relaying these eight lessons, his teacher, Shaqiq al-Balkhi rahimahullah said, Ya Hatim, Allah has given you much success and you have left nothing out whatsoever. I have looked very carefully in the scriptures of old, the Torah, the Injil, the Zabur, and I have looked deeply in the Quran and I have found that everything, all of the teachings within these scriptures revolve around the eight points you have mentioned. And anyone who implements these points in their life will have acted upon the meanings contained in all of Al-Kutub Al-Samawiyya, all of the scriptures. So notice how his teacher, Shaqiq Al-Balkhi says, you have left nothing out. In the beginning when he asked him what he learned, and Hatim said, I learned only eight things. He said, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajirun. Only eight. But when he heard all of these eight things, he realized that this is comprehensive. And the message of the Qur'an is boiled down to these core teachings and how we relate to our Creator, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what are the eight takeaways? If you boil them all down, the takeaways are that you store value in the hereafter, number one. And you discipline your soul and tame your ego, number two. And you use the dunya, the lower world, with good intentions that will give you reward enduring into the hereafter. That's number three. And you seek honor from what Allah deems honorable, which is taqwa. That's number four. And you banish envy from your heart and know that everything that comes to you is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number five. And you understand that the only real enemy you have is shaitan and his minions. That's number six. And you do not, you should not become so obsessed with the accumulation of wealth that you forget and think that you are razaq for yourself and Allah Ta'ala is not your razaq. That is number seven. And number eight, everything is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and everything is under His constant tadbir, His constant control and management. So put your heart's trust in the Creator and not in the creation. So if we observe creation and we observe ourselves and we compare our behaviors to the Qur'anic standards and we adjust our behaviors internally and externally to those standards, how would our lives be? How different would our lives be if we actually put in that kind of work? 
What would our state with Allah be if we looked at ourselves and others and we adjusted our lives according to the standards of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? These are eight simple lessons. But as we've said before, very few things that are simple are actually easy. If they were so easy, everyone would be doing them. So not everything that is simple is always easy. And in fact, we see that were not easy for Hatim and Asam. They were the accumulated learned teachings of 33 years of being under the tutelage of this teacher and learning character from him and benefiting from him. This means that we have to constantly be reminded. Don't ever fall for the illusion that we are not constantly under external pressures. It's either you choose to brainwash yourself and your family and loved ones with the message of haq, or you become the recipient of the brainwashing from everyone else in the world. So you have to choose who's going to brainwash you, yourself or others. So brainwashing, I mean in a positive sense, as Allah Ta'ala mentions, to remind people, because the reminder benefits the believers. It benefits the believers to be reminded of these essential realities. May Allah enable us to understand these core teachings. May Allah enable us to reflect on ourselves and others and apply the Qur'anic standards to how we live our life. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those who are reminded of these basic points and to take heed and to be of those who turn to Him for guidance and who rely on Him and Him alone. Amin. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fi al-akhirati hasana wa qina alam al-nar. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin abdika wa rasulika al-nabiru mi wa ala alihi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallima tasliman kathira bi qadri azamati thatika fi kulli waqtin wahin. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun. Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa qumu ila salatikum.